Amen. What a, what a beautiful name the name of Jesus is, amen. What a powerful name the name of Jesus is. And we are here today to exalt and lift high the name of Jesus. That's who we are, that's what we do at Harvest because that's what God has called and asked of us. And there is life in the name of Jesus, amen. And we're seeing that all throughout the Gospel of John as we are digging in and and diving through and and journeying through this Gospel. And this is where we're gonna be today. John chapter one, if you wanna get a head start as we continue our Come and See series to see the impact of what does it mean to have life in the name of Jesus? What does it mean to find, anchor our identity and find our identity in the life of Jesus? What does it mean to anchor and find our purpose in the name of Jesus? And praise God for all that he is doing as he continues to build his church. Um, My question for you guys, rhetorically speaking, but have you ever wondered, what am I on earth for? What am I doing here? What's my purpose? What is my identity? Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but I think the reality is, is all of us have thought that at some point, and many of us are probably thinking about that at this very point right here right now. There was a LifeWay research survey done recently, and you'll see the statistics on the, th- on the board behind me that show this, that, that show the reality that, many, that most Americans wonder what our purpose is, 57% at least one time a month. 21% wonder what our purpose is at least one time a week. Another 21% are searching for purpose every day. So if you're wondering and you're searching for purpose, you're trying to figure out your identity, one, you're amongst friends, you're, you're normal, okay, let's normalize that reality. And two, we're here to declare that you can find those things today where the text is going to lead us and point us straight to Jesus. The same survey later would say that 81% of Americans believe that there is an ultimate purpose and plan for a person's life. And these statistics are much higher than they were 10 years ago. Life has changed. COVID has impacted a lot of things, including our perspective, our priorities, our, our desires, and our yearnings. So 81% of Americans think there is a higher and an ultimate purpose and plan for people's life. 68% say that a majority uh, of their priority in life is seeking and searching for a deeper purpose. And 73% say it's important to, to, to pursue a higher purpose, bigger than yourself, to explore meaning for your life. Today, the Apostle John is going to point us to the one who will provide us our identity and our purpose. He's going to present before us a model, an example, also named John, John the Baptist. So there's going to be a lot of Johns today, okay? John the Apostle wrote it. John the Baptist is who he's writing about. And both of them are pointing us to Jesus. Because both of them are going to say today to all of our hearts that what you are searching for and to the deepest questions that we all wrestle with in our life, questions of identity and questions of purpose are both found in the same person, Jesus Christ because they're linked together. Out of our identity comes our purpose, right? Teachers, what do teachers do? I am a teacher, what do I do? I teach. I am a teacher, that's my identity, what do I do? I teach. Here's the reality we're gonna see in God's word for us, our identity and our purpose. We're gonna see God's word speak clearly to these questions, to questions that haunt us, and questions that when we actually find the answer and embrace it will unleash a power in us and through us that is far greater than us. Today, John the Apostle is inviting us to come and see where our source of identity and our purpose is. So if you are searching for it, and statistics say that many of us in this room or online are searching for identity and or purpose, come and find it here today in the name of Jesus. 
That's the heart of this message. That's the heart of the gospel of John. That's the heart of this, the, the life of John the Baptist who is going to model for us a life of identity and a life of purpose. And when we find it, it changes everything because Jesus changes everything. And I pray that you would. Here's a big idea today on the, on the screen, on your notes, that this, a faithful witness for Christ continues, continually points others to the surpassing greatness of Christ. John the, ba- the Baptist is going to model for us a purpose, our identity. Identity as a witness for Christ and a purpose to point others to Christ. And in and through that, we will find greater purpose in life that will change, not only change what is God, what your, the conditions of the heart that is inside of you, but the conditions of all those that are around you. Because when you begin to point other people to Jesus, can I tell you that scripture teaches that the gospel never comes back void? It never, never, never comes back void. Now Jesus works how he wants, when he wants, where he wants. He just promises that it will change people's lives. Praise God for that, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you would anchor our hearts in the reality that you are our identity, Jesus that you are our purpose, Jesus, that in you, for you, through you, and from you, we find hope, we find purpose and meaning, we find identity, and that when we anchor in that identity, no matter what the circumstances of the world throw at us, the storms, the wind, the waves, we can have hope, joy, peace, because you are never changing. And that we can live with a a purpose for something greater than ourselves, that is you, Jesus Christ that we can live to point others in every season, in every circumstance, in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, to you, the one who is in all, and to you, the one who is over all, because you are greater than them all. God, help us to see your greatness today, Jesus. Help us to look to you, the one who surpasses our knowledge, our understanding, to grow as worshipers of you as we rest in the reality of the greatness of you. And out of that heart of worship, may we witness with lives that just intentionally and unintentionally, proactively, reactively, in every nook and cranny, just point people to you with our lips and with our lives. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would silence my words and that you would flow, that the the life-breathing words from your word would penetrate our hearts, that you would guide us into your truth, Holy Spirit, and that you would do what you do, convict and compel, encourage and exhort, make us more like you. And Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter one. And if you don't have a copy of God's word, we have some available for you in the back, and that would be our gift. Uh, you would, it would be a gift for us if you would take that as our gift for you and, and read it, love it, live it, uh, mark it up, memorize it. But we're, gonna, we're journeying verse by verse through the gospel of John. That's what we do here at Harvest and letting God's word speak. We're in John one, beginning in verse 19 today through 28. John one, 19 through 28. It's the fourth gospel, the fourth book of the New Testament. John the apostle writes this. And this is a testimony of John, that's the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. And he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said. 
Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am unworthy to tie. Those things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now as John, the apostle, who's writing this book, carried along by the Holy Spirit, exits his prologue, which we looked at last week, the first 18 verses. He continues on his journey to point people to Jesus. Remember the the theme verse, John 20, 31, I have told you all these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So the whole book, he, that is his purpose. And so he exits the prologue and he begins his journey to reveal Jesus to us by basically giving us a glance into a life, the week, a life in the week of Jesus. He's looking at four days out of the, out of the first week of Jesus's public ministry of these next couple chapters of the Gospel of John. And he starts here by pointing us to the one who is a forerunner to Jesus. He points us to John the Baptist. Now, he's already introduced us to John the Baptist when we go back to verses six through eight of the prologue. So let's refresh our minds by looking backwards a little bit to understand who John is because John the Apostle has already sort of described and given a little background to John the Baptist. Now, if you turn just a couple verses up with me or back, depending on how your Bible's laid out, look with me at John 1, six through eight. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now in those three verses, how many times is the word witness used? And it's okay, I had to take my shoes off to count as well. It's okay. How many times? You can talk back, how many times? It's not rocket science, come on. Three, Three, thank you, there we go. Three, three times in three verses. So is it clear Is John the Apostle making it clear, is there clarity on what the identity of John the Baptist is? Who is John the Baptist? He's a witness. Now what does John the Baptist do? What was he sent to do? Witness, right? Same word, identity and purpose are both witness, noun and verb. And he was sent by God. He was under the authority of God, sent by God. So the purpose is, is our purpose decided by us or is it by God? by God. So God defines our purpose. He gives us our identity. He added, and then out of our love, the love that we've received from him, we display the love that we have around him. Now witness, witness is an important and key word as we're going to see throughout the gospel of John. And just like John the Baptist had his identity as a witness, so you and I are called to have our identity and our purpose also as a witness. Now witness is not just like go do, 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 do. We'll talk about this throughout the message. Like I have to learn how to do this program. It's not a program, it's a lifestyle. Because to be a witness for God means you are a worshiper because witness is worship. Witness means I'm living my life in such a way that I am exalting God in Jesus and everything that I do, that everything I do points to Jesus, that's a witness. That to be a disciple is to be a witness. 
To be a worshiper is to be a witness. To be an authentic disciple points people to Jesus in how we speak, in how we live, and how we walk. And that is to be a witness. So it's not just another thing that we do in our busy schedules and do, do, no. It's actually out of our being that witnessing should flow naturally because we are becoming like Christ. Makes sense? And in response to who Jesus is to us in a life of worship given to, given to Jesus, we are then witnessing to all those that are around us the greatness of Jesus, that he is greater than me. Where that's the whole, when you study John the Baptist throughout the gospel of John and throughout the other gospels, we see that being lived out and may that be so true for our lives. Remember that John the Baptist is living his life as a model for how we are to live as well. So we're gonna look today at these, from this text, from these 10 or so verses, two characteristics of a faithful witness. What is it from the life of John the Baptist as written by John the Apostle? What does it mean to live as a faithful witness? To, for the first way is this, that a faithful witness has a Christ-centered identity as a living testimony for Christ. A Christ-centered identity as a living testimony for Christ. Just look at the first verse, verse 19. And this is the, what's the next word in your Bible? Testimony. Testimony. Right? So it's a living testimony of who? John. John is living as a testimony. Now what is testimony? When you actually look at that word, it's the same exact word used in verse six to describe John the Baptist earlier. It is the same word as witness. It's synonymous. You can use either English word. It's the same original word here. So we would say this is, you could even say this is the witness of John. Other versions say this is the record of John because when you look at this word, what, is, what, what this word symbolizes, it brings into mind a vision, and, and imagine yourself with me uh, that you are in a courtroom right now, because that's what this word means. And a witness, a witness is called to the stand, and what are they called to do? Tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? Now, is hearsay allowed? I heard about this by somebody else, but I didn't firsthand experience it. No. Nope. What are you called to do as a witness when you're on the stand? Just tell what you have firsthand knowledge of, what you have personally experienced, and then what you have seen or heard with your own eyes, Right? In the same way, that is what it is like to live as an authentic, faithful witness for Jesus Christ with our identity. We are just giving a firsthand account of who Jesus is to us and what he has done for us and what we have seen him do all around us, right? That is what it means to be a witness. So throughout this time that we have today, I want to destigmatize a little bit about witnessing because some of us are like evangelism, witnessing, ah! No, it's just to be faithful, to live your life in such a way that through life and lips, it points to others to Jesus Christ. Testimony, this word testimony slash witness is an important word in the gospel. John, it's used 14 times as a noun throughout the entire gospel and 36 times as a verb. 14 times as a noun, identity, 36 times as a verb, purpose. Because out of our identity should flow our purpose. So this is what John, this text is saying, John the Apostle is saying, this is what John the Baptist is doing. He's just living his life as a testimony that points others to the reality that Jesus is greater than me. He's 
pointing others to Jesus. Now he was doing it, as this text says, as we see throughout, they're like, why are you baptizing other people? So this, this delegation, we'll get to that from Jerusalem, is sort of questioning him. Well, what do you mean? What does it mean that John is baptizing? Well, John is baptizing. John is a forerunner for Jesus. He's, a, he's more on this in a second, but he's a, he's a relative of Jesus. And his job was to go to Jewish people and preach the gospel. Essentially say, we are sinners and you're in need of a savior and there is one who is coming. So he was pointing to the savior who was to come. And his name is Jesus. And when they confessed their sins and sought repentance, then he would baptize them. Now he says, I baptize with water. Jesus is coming later to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So these baptisms are, are different. But God was working because there was clarity of gospel testimony. Now, those in Jerusalem got wind of this and they were a little bit nervous, shall we say. Put off, if you would. Because what Mark 1 tells us is that the entire area of Jerusalem and Judea, people were flocking to John the Baptist. Now, religious leaders in this day and age would baptize. They would baptize Gentile converts into Judaism. That's not what John was doing. John was baptizing Jews into faith, into putting their faith in God for their forgiveness and into Jesus Christ, the son of God, who was to come, the future coming Messiah. And so those, they were a little bit nervous in Jerusalem and so they sent an exploratory committee, if you would, to discover what was going on. And when they got there, they began to question John. And over and over, what are these, what's at the heart of these questions? They ask him not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. In some variation or other. Who are you? Are you this? Are you that? Are you this? What are they really asking? What is your identity? Who do you say that you are? How many times at work or at home or even the office do people really ask you, who are you really? Or how many times are you asking yourself when you look in the mirror, who am I? Like authentically, like sincerely. Am I this? Am I that? Am I this? Am I that? Am I what I do for a vocation? Am I a, am I a parent? Am I a husband? Like all of these things. But at my core, who am I really? And I pray that that answer at your core is child of God, disciple of the one true king. And out of that identity, everything else flows. I'm a disciple who happens to be a teacher. I'm a child of God who happens to be a mother or a father. I'm a, and then that, that produces purpose. Who are you? It's a heart level question dictating and driving all aspects of our lives. It, it impacts and it drives the decisions that we make on a daily basis because out of your identity flow your priorities. The thoughts that we think, the actions that we take, and these guys are peppering John with questions. And the first one is this, are you the Christ? They're like, only Jesus should be baptizing. And by Christ, it's not a last name. They're asking, are you the long-awaited promised Messiah? Are you the anointed one? That's where the word Christ means. And John the Baptist, he confessed. That word says it twice. He didn't deny. And he said, I'm not the Christ. He's coming. But I'm not him. My job is to point you to him and not be him. How many of us in our lives are trying to be Christ, are trying to be the Savior instead of spending our lives pointing people to the Savior? We're trying to fix people's problems. We're trying to fix ourselves as opposed to surrendering and submitting our own hearts to Jesus as the only one that can save us and pointing others to Jesus who can save us. There's a huge distinction there. Why are you baptizing? 
John the, ba- John the Baptist continues here because he knows his identity and that gives him confidence in his purpose. John's baptisms were in alignment with the priority of his ministry and mission from God. And here's a huge couple of key, there's lots of them, but here's a couple of key take home distinctives of the baptisms of John and Jesus. It's not an exhaustive list, but here at the core, John's baptisms were pointing people to the savior who was to come. Jesus is bap- and the work he would do. Jesus' baptisms, the baptisms that we practice now, reflect back and declare on the finished work that Jesus has done. Distinct, there's, a, there's idiosyncrasies, but there's also big distinctions there. John didn't baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus does. That's why we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't, John didn't baptize people into the church because the church didn't exist at that point. So there's lots of different distinctives but he's like, I'm not Jesus. John was a relative of Jesus. He was lived in the wilderness and he was born in an act that both declare, was declared by an angel in Luke 1 and to a father who was a priest, but struggled to believe that God would and could, in fact, open the womb of his wife, who scripture describes generously as advanced and aged. Scripture is very gracious and generous, right? It meant she was old. She was barren previously. And she was so faithful, as scripture describes Elizabeth, but God did a work, and the same God who was faithful then and then opened Elizabeth's womb can work in your situations right now to do his work as well. Elizabeth was a relative, the, the, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, was a relative to whom Mary ran when Mary found out that she was pregnant and welcomed Mary with open arms where she hosted her, her relative Mary for a couple months, most likely. And there was an angel when he appeared to Zechariah who did not believe that his wife could bear a child and had given up that dream. And this is what the angel said about John the Baptist who was to be born. In Luke chapter one, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. This is the angel talking about the birth of John the Baptist. For he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, which wasn't normal then, even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah, but not being Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a a people prepared. So when it comes to identity, John the Baptist was sent by the God, the father. We see that in John one, he was filled with God, the Holy spirit, Luke one. He was sent to testify as a witness about the loving, saving grace of the gospel of God. And he was sent to prepare the way for the arrival of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Pretty awesome calling. Amen. Awesome calling. And it isn't kind of cool, we'll see more about this later, that our God gives us the same calling. Except the distinction is as opposed to pointing people to the one who is to come, we point him to the one who has already come and already done. And praise God for that. Second question, going back in John here, John 1, that, that is an identity question in verse 21. They ask him, what, are, what then? If you're not the Christ, are you Elijah? And he goes, I'm not. Now, the, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who actually never died. He was taken up into heaven before he was, he was dead. And, and Malachi promises, the, the prophet Malachi in the, in the book of Malachi promises and points to the fact that, that John, the, that Elijah will come back. Well, there will be an appearance of Elijah before the end times. And so they're like, hold on, are you Elijah? Now, why would they ask if he's Elijah? Well, he kind of looked like he was Elijah. Elijah had a rugged appearance and guess what? So did John the Baptist. 
Mark 1 describes John the Baptist's appearance like this. He was clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and eating locusts and wild honey, right? He was raised in the wilderness. He might be the most, if he might be voted the, the biblical character most likely to be found at a ba- your local Bass Pro Shop, okay? I don't know. <laughs> but when it comes to being a witness for Christ, praise God that there's not a dress code, okay? There's not a dress code. You know why? Because uh, being a witness is a 24-7 lifestyle. And when we are, you're at the gym working out, when you're in your dress uniforms in the military, when you're teaching a class as a teacher, when you're hanging out in your sweats watching the game, because being a witness, which is synonymous with being a worshiper, which is synonymous with being a disciple, which is synonymous with being an ambassador for Christ, because that's our identity, it's who we are 24-7. It's not an on-off switch. It should come out of us naturally in, our, in our, how we talk at home or in the locker room. should be pointing people to Jesus. We should always have our witnessing clothes on, regardless of whether they're sweats or a suit, okay? Because we are called uh, to have an identity, and we're given the privilege to have an identity as a witness for Christ. Because that's what a disciple is. Because if a disciple is becoming more like Christ, right, our life should reflect more and more like Christ. So when people see us, who should they see? Jesus which is being a witness. Third question here, are you the prophet? John's answers are getting shorter and shorter, if you can tell. And he goes, no, (laughs) no. John is a prophet, but he's not the prophet. They're like, are you the one that Moses was talking about? John's like, nope, 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 not me. He's coming, but it's not me. It's not me. Now, verse 22, these, these, this, this religious committee, exploratory committee or investigative committee, whatever you want to call them, they were getting a little frustrated. They're a little consternated and confused. They're like, we need to give an answer. And who are you? They ask him again. Who are you? A life-defining question. Who are you? What's your identity? Because we got to give an answer when we go back. And it's not going to be good for us if we show up with no information, okay? And I just use a little holy imagination. I imagine the scene going like this. John the Baptist responding to them with something like this. You want the truth? And then the religious delegation going, yeah, we want the truth. And John the Baptist going, I'm not sure you can handle the truth. (laughs) Okay, here it is. Brace yourselves. And he points them to who Jesus is. They're like, who are you? He goes, here's the reality. That's the thing. It's not about me. It's all about him who is greater than me. And he begins to point them to Jesus by quoting Isaiah 40, verse three. It's a passage they would know very well. And he goes, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. My job is to point you to Jesus, the Messiah, the risen and reigning, the coming king who will be slain for our sin, and who will be risen and will reign. I am. Now, when you see a a quote from the Old Testament in a New Testament passage, it's important to go back and read that and begin to pull the string and go, why is this here? Because it's here for a purpose. We got to understand context. Isaiah 40 was written by a prophet to the people of God in captivity. Actually, the 40th chapter of Isaiah is this incredible pivot because it's, it's a pivot of when he begins to write to the people that have already been taken away because of their sin and say, so you're going to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Sound hopeless? Sound like captivity? Isaiah 40 is something that happens commonly in the Old Testament called a dual fulfillment 
prophecy, which means that that prophecy was fulfilled in the literal breaking free of captivity. God broke the Israelites, his people, out of literal captivity after 70 years and brought them back to Jerusalem, praise God, but it was also second, the second fulfillment of that, of the duality of this fulfillment here, was pointing to John the Baptist who would tell us about the one who would break us free from our spiritual captivity named Jesus. So it's Isaiah 40 verse three, and, and then I'm gonna read a little five, verse five as well, because I think it's helpful. It says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this is, here's verse five. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord it's spoken. So what John the Baptist here is doing, it's a drop the mic moment. You wanna know who I am? I don't think you can handle it, but here you go. I am the one who is heralding the hope that it's Jesus who is to come. I am the proclaimer of the one who will bring us peace. I am the one who is declaring that deliverance is about to be here because Jesus is about to be here. Make yourself ready right now. Begin to confess your sins, prepare your heart because Jesus changes everything and he is greater than me. Amen? He's beginning to prepare them. He's declaring a Christ-centered identity that is a living testimony to the Savior, the ruling king who is coming down to earth, and which, again, is described perfectly in John 1:14 in the prologue. The incarnation of God becoming flesh reveal a full revelation of the glory of God in live and living color. John is saying that the glory that you've been looking for is about to break through. Praise God for that. And it, imagine, bring yourself back to that courtroom, right? You know, when you're on the courtroom and this, an attorney asks the, uh, the witness a question, do you see the one accused that you saw doing something, something in the courtroom? And what do they do? Can you point to him? Yep, he's ready over there. He's the defendant, right? So what is John doing? He's like, do you know where the one who's gonna give us hope is? Yep, his name is Jesus. He just keeps pointing to Jesus. What's your source of peace? Jesus, like as a witness, he's just pointing to Jesus with everything that he is doing. And may that, may that be our reality as well. Friends, where is your identity this morning? John was anchoring his identity clearly that I am the one to point people to Jesus. I am the sent one from God asking people to make way the, their hearts for the coming savior that is Jesus Christ, the son of God. And can I tell you that it's not just John's calling to do this, it's our calling as well. And you might be like, wait a minute, God sent John. He did, he did. You know the, same, the, word there, uh, the word there sent in verse six, a man sent by God is the same exact words used by Jesus Christ in John 20, 21, uh, when he's on the evening of his resurrection, when he looks at his disciples and said, as the father sent me, guess what? So I send you. And the root word of the word witness is the same exact word used by Jesus himself in his last words on earth in Acts 1-8, the Great Commission. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. So there is a direct connection to the reality that being a witness out of a heart of worship is not just John's commanded identity, but guess who else's identity it should be? Mine and yours, to be a living, breathing testimony of the greatness of Jesus Christ that just continues to point people to the surpassing greatness, to that Jesus is greater than your deepest trouble. He's greater than your greatest triumph. He is just greater than it all because he's sovereign over it all and he's worthy in it all. Praise his holy name forever. And is your life pointing people to Jesus in everything that you say and do? 
Where is your identity right now? Is your identity in your work? Is your identity in how you look? Is your identity in your family? Is your identity in your intelligence or your IQ? Is your identity even in a church, which it shouldn't be? It should only be anchored in Jesus Christ. And as an overflow of that, as a worshiper, as we abide in that, we should tell other people about that because that is the most loving thing that we can do. That should be our identity, that when people look at us, just like they're looking at John, there should be something different about us. Why were they there? Because there was something different about John. You're doing something different than than culture. Guess what, we should be living differently than our culture as well, right? Why, and then people, you should be living in such a way that people are asking you questions like, why did you choose to forgive that person when, when they hurt you instead of getting back at them? Because Jesus first forgave me, you see that? Because I am, I am I, out of an overflow of what Jesus has first done for me, I anchor my identity in that, and I'm so confident and comfortable in that, that then it flows through me, so I do that for others because Jesus is greater than me and I wanna live like and become like Jesus, right? So when people, why are you responding so gently in that work meeting when other people are raising their voices and all this stuff? Because I'm called to always, 1 Peter 3.15, right? Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with what? Gentleness and respect. So that when people see me, there should be something different about me than culture because my life is not anchored in culture, which is ever changing, or my circumstances which might be debilitating or exhilarating, but no, either way, my identity is not in culture, it's not in circumstances, but it's in Christ. And that makes me different. Is that you right now? There's something different about you that the world begins to go, what makes you different? And then do you intentionally take those moments to point people to Jesus or do you just sort of keep it inside you? Because that's what we now see John doing. They're like, what's different, what's different? And there's an intentionality in vocabulary, there's an intentionality in life choices that doesn't just stuff the work that Jesus has done, hoard the grace that Jesus has given, or God has given him, but it chooses to point other people to it because he's like, I want you to have it too. Because that's my purpose, right? Because you go back to John 1, 6 and 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, what, what, what? That all might believe through him. He's like, all means all, right? How awesome is that? We, God can do anything and everything. So you never know how God's gonna work as you choose to be a witness for Christ and just live your life in a way that points people to Jesus. You never know. The cashier at the grocery store that you show grace to, that might be the moment that God breaks through their heart in some way that you would never hope or expect or that, that, that coworker that you make time for when you didn't have time, when your work was already overflowing, or that neighbor that you help out with an act of service, or that family member that you choose to forgive, that God might use that to point people to the light, Jesus Christ, and give them abundant life in and through the work that you've done. It's God doing it, but you're the conduit. It's God's power, God's gospel, God's the only one that changes hearts, but we need to make ourselves available to be a witness for God and as we anchor in that identity. And so we see now John moving that way. We see him anchoring in that, Will you do that? Because my question for you is this, and when you look at verse 19 and it says, this is a testimony of John, if you put your name in there for John and goes, this is a testimony of Stephen, this is the testimony of Stephanie, what would the next few lines read? Are you pointing people to Jesus on the record or not? 
Because as Ralph Waldo Emerson has said, your life speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Second characteristic of a faithful witness. A faithful witness for Christ has a purpose-driven urgency in pointing others to Christ. So I have a Christ-centered identity, and now I have a purpose-driven urgency that is spent pointing other people to Christ. Because remember, a faithful witness for Christ continually points others to the surpassing greatness of Christ. So after this, this gathering from Jerusalem, this committee, this investigative committee comes, in verse 25, they ask him, they ask him, after the who question comes the why question, right? So who is an identity? They ask him four or five times, and then look with me at verse 25. They ask him then, what was the three-letter word next? Why? What's your purpose? What are you doing here? What's your motivation? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah or the prophet? And John answered, here we go. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not, unwor- I am not worthy to untie. So what is he doing? He's pivoting and intentionally, he's not directly answering their question, but you know what he's is doing? He's pivoting to point them to who? Jesus with a heart posture of humility, because his, his metaphor that he's using, his image brings to mind a servant, a lowly servant, who's saying, I'm not even fit to untie the sandals of the king, King Jesus. John is lowering himself in humility because being a faith, testifying faithfully requires a heart of humility that says he is greater than me, because our culture says, I want to be that. I want to be the guy. I want it to be all about me. I want to point to me. You might not say it, but your life is displaying it. Are you trying to build the kingdom of God, point people to you, build your stage, your platform, or in a heart of humility, pointing other people to Jesus faithfully? John could have been like, oh, I don't know about you, but man, an angel foretold my birth. <laughs> you think you're all that? I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You got that recently? Which they didn't at that time but he did in a heart of humility. He said, I'm not even fit to untie the sandals from King Jesus. And you think he's, you think he's a long time coming. I want you to know he is among you. He's here. Isn't that awesome? Hope is here. Jesus is here. The glory that was foretold has now broken through because Jesus is here and Jesus changes not just one thing, but he changes everything. John the Baptist over and over and over is described as a witness for God and witnessing about God. Would that be your testimony? At Harvest, we talk about our purpose. We talk about our, our, our mission statement, right? It's to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We want to make disciples. And then we talk about four pillars that we have. What's our purpose? What do we focus on? What do we do? What do we do? And if you don't know, we would love to talk with you more about it at step two coming up. The foundation is Jesus, but one of our four pillars is what? Unafraid witness sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. It's our purpose. It's John's purpose. Now boldness, 99.9% is not involving a bullhorn, okay? On the street corner. But boldness goes, in the middle of my circumstances, I'm gonna, with a heart of humility, choose to point to Jesus faithfully. When it's hard, I'm gonna cling to the hope I have in Jesus. When it hurts and when I'm afraid, you know what? I'm gonna elevate Jesus in such a way that I'm not trying to get advertisement about it, 
but it's probably gonna be noticeable because I'm not gonna hide it. And my life is just gonna declare it in the little things and in the big things. There are so many reasons why so many of us are fearful about being a witness. And I think, again, I wanna destigmatize it. I don't have the words to say, you know what? The Holy Spirit will give you the words. And I'm not even talking about an hour a week where we're gonna go knock on some door. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 24 seven, a worshiper is a witness, is an ambassador, is a disciple, is a child of God. It's a matter of obedience. We are sent by the King of Kings to tell other people with joy about the one who has changed everything for us. That's what John is doing right here. Will you do it? We don't need to fear the rejection, although that is the big fear. We choose faith. If you share Christ, you're gonna get rejected in big ways and small ways. Fear of hurting relationships. Can I tell you, if you really love Jesus and if you really believe that Jesus is your identity, he's the only one that changes everything, guess what? The most loving thing that you can do is point people, other people to Jesus and just trust him with the results. Trust him in your own heart because there might be some earthly pain. There probably will be. I've experienced a lot of that over time. Pain in them because grace is not the absence of truth, but it's the presence of love. And that's not just what we say, but it's how we say it. We want to be a testimony, an accurate testimony of Jesus in everything we say. So scripture teaches us that we should point people to Jesus with gentleness and respect, 1 Peter 3. We should do it with love. We should do it with patience, 2 Timothy. Preach the gospel at all times, but do it with patience. Because they might not be ready to hear right now, but they might be ready in a month or two or three or 10 when they come back and go, you know what, that one time you told me about Jesus and you choose to forgive me and I spat in your face, I'm sorry. Can you tell me about Jesus again? Lean in. Let him work. Where is God asking you to cling to this identity and to point with purpose to Jesus faithfully in your life? May our fears not prevent our faithful witnessing because Jesus will grow us in it as he sanctifies us through it. Often Jesus wants us to experience more and become more and more like him as we open our hearts to that. There's a book called Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. It's sold over 50 million copies. It's in 70 different languages. You think our pe people are hungry for purpose? We are. And it's right here. Come and see that the purpose that God designed for you comes out of the identity that God provides for you. And his name is Jesus. That Jesus changes everything. And we want to tell other people about him. So what does this practically look like? I want to close with two stories that are real. You're like, what does this look like in real life? What does it look like to point to one whose sandals that we are unworthy to tie? And they're both pretty personal. They're both messy. And they both happened this week. First, and you'll, she said, gave me, both gave me permission. First is this, it's, many of you have already read this, but I want to draw your attention to it. Allie Gangor, who's a beloved member of our church family, she and Chris, she's been on a breast cancer battle for about a year. And she, she posted on her blog that she has a road through remission. And she just, this is just a snippet of it. She's happy to share more with you about it. She said, my story for his glory. God has given each of us a story, right? We don't own the rights to it. We're not the author of it. Again, pointing people to Jesus is declaring, look at what God has done for me. That's why we have testimonies with baptism. My story for his glory is what she wrote. When people ask me about my story and she's had breast cancer, but she's doing great so far a year into it, praise God. 
as if they can give me my info to someone who is going through something like this when I went through all that I am, always happy to tell them or let them. Because Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Although the last year was hard, I know that it was all worth it because God's glory has shown through it. That's why I tell my story with a smile on my face. That's why I'm able to say I got cancer when I was pregnant with a smile on my face. It's not denying the difficulty. It's elevating the victory that is Jesus. It's not denying the hard. It's elevating and pointing people to hope. Because while our details might be different, our deliverer is the same and we all need Jesus. Because that same Jesus that met me in my lowest of lows will meet you in your lowest of lows today. Because I can't save myself, but Jesus came and died on the cross in my place. And even after salvation, daily sanctification and sustenance, John was sent as a gift of God's grace to people desperately in need of God's grace to point them to the the greatest revelation of God's grace, Jesus Christ. And as grace recipients, you and I, have received the grace of God and been commissioned by the grace of God to go tell those all around us in desperate need of the grace of God about Jesus Christ who offers the life-transforming grace of God. Amen? That's our calling. And praise God for that. Keep Allie and Chris in your prayers, but God is working. And there's a testimony that gives God glory. So it's an intentionality of pivoting and pointing to Jesus, not denying the hard, transparency, authenticity, but pointing to Jesus' victory. The second one is this. I, as many of you know, my, and I've shared parts of this along the way, that my father's health is not great. And I love him, but I got some news this week that it's, it's continuing to deteriorate. He's got corticobasal syndrome, which is a member of the Parkinson's family. And got news this week that while we're praying for God to work, his, his legs have lost the strength that he's no able, longer able to walk on his own anymore. And it's continuing to trend, and it's a game changer. And it's hard. And it hurts. It's really hard. And there's grief. Not denying any of those things. And I was talking to my mom about it, and later she sent me this text, and it was the last thing she said to me this week. And, and she said this. I just want you to know that I love you and there is great joy today because Jesus lives in all caps. So in the middle of the difficulty, pointing our own hearts and pointing the lives of all those around us to the reality of Jesus's victory is a living, breathing testimony of the supremacy of Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus. It's not like I need to go knock on somebody's doors and go, if God answered, and why would you ask you, why would you get into my heaven today? Why, what would you answer? You know, some people, that, there's a, maybe a place for that. But what we're really talking about what this text is, is anchoring your own heart and hope in the identity of who Jesus is and being changed by the power of the grace of God in such a way that your life and your lips point others to Jesus in an unmistakable way that is different because Jesus is different and he is greater. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Friends, where today do you need to find rest in the reality of the identity that Jesus gives you? That the gospel is enough. That Jesus' grace is sufficient and your hurt in your heart Will you choose to cling to your identity of Jesus' victory? To change your focus off of your circumstances or even culture 
and fix them on Jesus. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And if you don't have a story of your own heart where Jesus has transformed your life through faith, by his grace through your faith, would today you choose to put your faith in the Lord as your savior. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's Jesus. He he's reigns. And today, would you pray with me too that God would give you the heart to proactively and reactively display the gospel so vibrantly that it just points all around to those all around you to Jesus faithfully. In the struggle, we're not denying it. In fact, we're gonna be vulnerable about it. We cling to our savior. In our difficulty, when we're questioned by those in power, with a heart of humility, we just point people to Jesus faithfully. lives that speak and say Jesus you are greater than me and you're my hope and we just spend some time asking God right now if there's anybody in your life that he is putting on your heart in this moment to sometime today or sometime this week be a living testimony and point them to Jesus Maybe it's through an action. Maybe it's through a word of encouragement. Just spending time and giving a shoulder to cry on. Whatever it is, that you would point them to Jesus. The one who is greater than the trial. The one that is greater than the trouble. The one that broke through the darkness. And let Jesus do the transformational work that he came to do. Thirty seconds as I just sit and pray in silence, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, we love you and with hearts of humility, I just pray that you would break us of our pride, of areas where we have placed our identity in things that aren't of you and that aren't you. Break us, God. In love, break us. And in our brokenness, show us your beauty, the reality of your greatness, your sovereignty, your supremacy, your glory. And then allow us to be a conduit to all those around us of your enduring and transforming and eternity-altering love that resides inside of us and that you want to flow through us for your glory, not our own. For your name, not our own. God, help us in everything that we do, flowing from the reality of your victory to magnify your name, to glorify your name, to point people to you, to point our own hearts to you. 
because you are greater and you are glorious. In your beloved name we pray, Jesus, amen.